June 18th, 1815, a very famous battle. Some of you may have heard. It's called the Battle of Waterloo. Battle of Waterloo, right? Why is this significant? The Battle of Waterloo uh, was the final defeat of Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon had conquered much of Europe in the early 19th century. The British and the Prussians came against him, led by Duke of Wellington, and June 18, 1815, Napoleon Bonaparte was conquered, end of his reign, right? What's interesting is, out of that defeat at Waterloo, there was a phrase that was coined. It's called, meet your Waterloo. Meet your Waterloo. And what does this mean? It means to be defeated by someone who is stronger or by a problem that is very difficult to surmount. To suffer a very severe defeat or failure, especially one which causes you to finally give up what you are trying to do. In fact, uh, that phrase was first coined by Arthur Conan Doyle uh, in Return of Sherlock Holmes, 1905, if you... If you're a Sherlock Holmes fan, that's, that's where Meet Your Waterloo was first coined. And I thought of this phrase in light of what we've been studying in, in God's Word, receiving the blessings of God's Word as a, in, in response, in conjunction with being a doer, obedience. And I thought, Meet Your Waterloo. How many of us, if we sit here, and don't raise your hands on this one, how many of us sit here this morning, maybe this week, uh, you've met Waterloo? Maybe this week you've had a situation come up where you're feeling defeated. Defeated to the point of giving up. Right? Meet your Waterloo. And then I think how many of us, even as believers, if we feel defeated over time, enough time, how many of us, even as believers kind of live in a Waterloo mindset, in a defeated mindset. We wake up in the morning and rather than saying, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for giving me everything I need for life and godliness. Thank you that I'm in the temple of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're never going to leave me nor forsake me today as I go out into the world. How many of us on the other end wake up and go, another Waterloo I'm going to go out there and I'm going to struggle today. And it's all I can do just to, just to make it through another defeated day. Another day of defeat. Right? And, and we're going to look at this. And my prayer for us today, honestly, is that by the time you leave here, you're going to be excited in Jesus for victory. What is the, what is the answer? What really? What, why does this matter? You know, if you look at, in our culture today... This meet your Waterloo, this is kind of a pervasive sense of hopelessness and defeat and discouragement in our country. Around the world, a lot of people have met their Waterloo, right? They're not living in this sense of, of, of just enthusiasm and, and I've got to go get this and yes, let's do this, right? Even in the church, it's seeped in. And so my prayer for you, for me, for us, is that God will answer how do we get past them, the Waterloo to victory? How many of you would like to live victoriously? Just, just victoriously. We're going to look at that today. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for our time together so far. Thank you for what we have been learning about the blessings that come as we walk in obedience. And Lord, today I pray that you would continue to speak that truth to us through your word. And then, Lord, uh, very specifically, that you would speak uh, about victory, about being overcomers, about defeating the world. Lord, uh, perhaps there, there's many here this morning, and they've met Waterloo this week. Or maybe, maybe over the last weeks, maybe the last months, maybe the last years, they, 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 they're not waking up with a sense of victory in Jesus, they're, they're kind of making it through with a sense of defeat and just hanging on. So Lord, I pray you would answer this, set us free, Lord, do what only you can do in the spirit and your word, Lord, that we would leave here 
Lord, knowing who we are in Christ and the victory we have through Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen, right? So we've been looking at, if if you're visiting, we have been looking at this connection between receiving and experiencing God's blessings, or what we call makarios, right? Makarios, it's a state, it's a condition of spiritual thriving, spiritual prosperity in connection with what? Obedience, right? James 1.25, we've looked at this over and over. It says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed or literally happy in his doing, right? Jesus himself says in Luke 11, he, Jesus, replied, blessed, happy, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Proverbs 8:32. now then, my children, listen to me, blessed or happy are those who keep my ways, right? We, we spent almost two months really trying to get from here to here this, this deep conviction, not just an ascent, not just like, okay, yeah, great, but a deep conviction that, no, Jesus himself says, I will be blessed, I will be happy, I will experience makarios if I walk in obedience, right? So the million-dollar question is, well, not, why, why don't we just all? Jesus himself says, blessed are they who do it, why don't we just all just do it? Right? And Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It's a heart issue. It's this battle with this sin nature. Right? We've asked you before, how many of you are doing the reading plan? Right? Keep that hand up. How many of you at some point already in the first quarter have struggled with the reading plan? Okay? And had to have some catch-up days? Right? Okay, catch-up days, Right? Right? So we're trying to do this reading plan. And, and on the surface, you would say reading, reading God's word is a good thing. Amen? Right? God's word. God's truth. Inspired of God. God breathed. Right? All of life's answers. Right there. So why do we struggle with it? It's a heart issue. And we've been looking at, Lord, show us our heart. Lord, what's going on in my heart? Right? And so we've spent weeks and weeks. I encourage you to listen to the, listen to the sermons that are on the website. But last week we looked at this passage, 1 John 5, 1 through 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. This is the love of God, right? If you say here this morning, you say, I love God, here's what it says. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not what? burdensome so we looked at that right if god's word is awesome incredible doing it results in our happiness our blessedness this verse verse three says his commandments are not burdensome Woo! we looked at that last week really right what does he mean by burdensome it means oppressive severe cruel grievous a source of trouble if we're honest if i'm honest yeah, there's been verses in there that I struggle with. Anyone else? That were like, Ugh. forgive? Ugh. Right? Love? Ugh. Right? Bear one another's burdens? Ugh. Right? And yet that says they're not burdensome. So we looked at last Sunday, how do we get over that? What's going on? If, if the Bible itself says it's not burdensome, and I'm sitting here going, really? Really? What's going on? And last week we looked at, there's, there's kind of two, two reasons, right? Psalm 40, verse 8 says this, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. How many of us genuinely like to genuinely live with a delight to do God's will? Just generally. Right? Not perfectly, just like, yes, I delight, yes, it's a good thing, yes, I delight to do God's will. So what's going on? Well, one thing we saw last Sunday, why do we struggle with this burdensome attitude or this burdensome struggle? It has to do with our heart. If I'm a believer and I'm struggling with a, a commandment of the Lord, and yet I say I love God, and yet I say I want to delight in his will. If I'm finding something burdensome, if we're honest, it's usually because I want to do something that I want to do. It's a self-issue, right? We saw this quote from uh, W. Edmund Hebert. God's commandments become burdensome 
whenever a Christian desires to do something inconsistent with his directives. When a believer attempts to carry out his own will, God's commandments seem cruel and restrictive and fellowship with God is broken. Then he finds that he must come back to a loving obedience. How many of you growing up, uh, your parents told you not to run out into the street? Stick something in the electric outlet. Something. They told you not to do something and you got angry at them. You're mean. You're mean. You're trying to ruin my life. I'm just trying to have fun. You're cruel. You're oppressive. What you're saying, mom and dad, is burdensome. What's really the issue? I want to do what I want to do and you're telling me I can't. It's the, same, it's the same issue. You've experienced it as a kid growing up. If you're a parent, you've experienced it as a parent. And guess who experiences it with us? Father. Same thing. When I'm struggling with one of his commandments being burdensome, usually it's because it's the same attitude I had growing up to my parents. Why? I just want to have fun. I'm not hurting anyone. Right? It's a, it's a heart issue. It's a self-centered issue. Second reason that we might see that commandments are burdensome, we looked at that, is that we tend to want to live as believers at the bare minimum. Live at the bare minimum. We shared this last week. Sometimes inadvertently when someone has shared the gospel with you, or I've done this growing up, we kind of come to someone and we say, hey, would you like to be a Christian? And he says, yes. And I say in response, well, all you have to do and generally, it's like all you have to do is say this prayer or all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. Kind of, kind of right. But it sets this person up to what? Believe that all they had to do to be a Christian was the bare minimum of saying a prayer or the bare minimum of putting their faith. So in their mind, I'm good to go. I did the bare minimum. My name is written in the book of life. Everything else is now extra and now potentially burdensome, right? We have to be very careful when you communicate the gospel that you're not communicating something that's not 100% accurate because when Jesus asked people to follow him, what did he ask them to do? Follow me, right? Take up your cross. Love me more than any family member. The first commandment, love God with your whole heart. Jesus' minimum is actually a maximum. It's all of you. It's your whole being, right? But over time, because we wanted to kind of simplify and systematize the presentation of the gospel, we create these steps, and inadvertently we say, all you have to do. So, and, and you know, I was, grew up in an evangelical church, a big one in San Diego. I was part of a nonprofit ministry, we, uh, we held a big youth evangelistic event and we rented out the San Diego Sports Arena, invited an entire San Diego County, thousands of kids came, hundreds came forward, and we had them fill out cards. And in the back of my mind, I've got to be honest with you, I was concerned. The gospel was presented accurately and fully, but I was concerned. And here's my concern, that they come forward, we get counselors, they fill out cards. Here's my number one concern. If someone's walking out of the sports arena and someone says to them, hey, I saw you go forward. Are you going to heaven? And they say, yes. And then I say, well, how do you know? And he says, because I filled out a card. <laughs> do you see the problem? So this young teenager falsely believes that the basis of their entry into heaven was filling out a card and not following Jesus. You got, we just have to be really careful. We just have to be really careful. And so what happens is if we kind of have adopted this, well, I'm following Jesus and I'll do the bare minimum, we start to set that bare minimum. Well, okay, I, I believe Jesus and my bare minimum includes Sundays. Now, now, Sunday church is included in your bare minimum, but it might not be for you. Your bare minimum is Sunday and Tuesday. And now you know, but it's Sunday, Tuesday, missions. No, but it's Sunday, Tuesday, missions, giving. Where does it end, right? And then the problem is, we come up here, hey, there's a great reading plan. Hey, there's missions. Hey, you should get involved. 
If any of that is outside of your definition of bare minimum, it's now a burden. It now becomes a burden because now anything above your definition of bare minimum has to fit your schedule and your convenience. So after all, what happens is you're following Jesus, I'm following Jesus on my terms. As long as I meet the bare minimum, his terms, anything above that is on me. And he should just be happy. That's the issue. And we looked at that, right? He wants all of us. He wants all of us, right? He went to the cross. When you understand the much forgiven, how much you've been forgiven by his grace and you're overwhelmed by his grace and his love, you'll want to. Right? We had fun with Garrett doing his vows. If you were here last Sunday, right? When you go to a, a, a church service and uh, a wedding and, and the vows, they're all in, right? Till death do us part in richness or in, in rich and poverty, right? I've done so many of them, I can't even remember what they are. When you do your vows, when you enter into the covenant of marriage, it's an all in moment. Everything I have is yours, right? You don't come in with this bare minimum requirement. I'm going to do the bare minimum to stay married to you. Right? It's not. It doesn't make sense on the human level, and it certainly doesn't make sense this way. So we were, we were looking at that. John Ortberg, he really nails it. He says this, Saving faith becomes the minimum amount you have to believe so that, if you believe it, God has to let you into heaven. Imagine saying to Jesus, I trust that you've deposited merit in my heavenly bank account, and I will consume your merit to get in. But I don't trust you enough to actually do what you've said in my everyday life. I'll use your blood to avoid hell, but I'd like to retain control of my own life. That kind of trust would be insulting and nonsensical. Right? But that's just kind of like this pervasive attitude that's come into the church, because what do we try to do? We try to fill the seats. We try to get people coming because we try to say, this is all you have to do. Because we're afraid of scaring people away with fully following Jesus. No. No, it, it, it's, it's an all-in from the very get-go. Not because it's a litany of rules and regulations. It's an all-in moment because of God's grace and love. It's all-in. It's all-in. How many of you love somebody so much that what you do for them isn't a burden? You go not just the extra mile, the tenth mile. How many of you have a pet that you love and you'll get up early and you'll clean up after that pet and you just love the little pet and you just... How many of you have your own pet language that only you and your pet? Come on now. Come on. Right? Right? If you're honest. Hidden camera on you. They'd be like, what is that? And they look at you like, he knows what I'm saying. He knows. It's love, right? There's this love we have that just creates in us this thing. We go buy them toys. They need a sweater. They need gourmet food. Right? It, where is that coming from? Love. Love. So turn to the person next to you that you love and say, eh, I'm sorry, you know, like the pet, the pet. You know, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm human, so it's a little transparency. My wife loves our dog. And sometimes I'm like, really? Oh, cool. And I'm just on the couch like, really? Gets all the attention, wants to lay down next to Coda. And I'm like, he just pooped. I know, but he's so cute. I'm like, really? And I'm just like, love. It's just like oozing out. And I'm like, yo, hello, husband. Ooh. Feed the dog. I pay for the dog food. I clean up the dog. Right? It's just this crazy love that just comes oozing out. That was the heart of last Sunday. If we understand that we're much forgiven and we respond in God's love, watch out. You'll want to be here. You will. You'll want to be connected to the church family. You'll want to give. You'll want to just give your whole life. Why? Because you just love God. Amen? It's kind of it's that simple. It's just love. 
Why are we here today? Honestly, why am I here? Why is this uh, people who get here at 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock, why are we here? Honestly, we just love God. We love God and we want you to love God. That's kind of all we, that's what we're about, honestly. Strip it all down. We love God. We want you to love God. Seriously. That's what, that's what we do, right? So today, we look at this, this idea of, of living victorious because we talked about this Waterloo. Okay, so we're to love God, right? Obedience, blessing, inseparable, right? So, so how does that impact me living victoriously versus in this Waterloo defeatist mindset, right? Well, let's keep reading. Let's, first John, let's start in uh, 5, 1 through 3, and we'll all read all the way down to verses 4 or 5. So it's everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Okay, verse 4. Four. Now that word four, if you're writing notes, that is what they call a term of explanation. So he just said his commandments are not burdensome. That word four means, and this is why. Let me explain what I mean. So he's giving you why they're not burdensome. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So, verse 4 and 5 tell us God's commandments are not burdensome because of our faith in Jesus. That's really what he's saying. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, you are positionally now what we call an overcomer. You are positioned to live victoriously through your faith in Jesus. When we first moved here, early 2000s, there was a church league, was a big deal. And uh, we would play in church basketball, church softball uh, here at the park. But our church basketball team over from community, we were pretty good. A lot of ex-players, and uh, we won the title a few times. Uh, And here's the deal. When we would show up, I think it was Tuesday nights we would play, we would kind of know sometimes that we were going to win. We were a bunch of ex-high school, some college players, and other churches were just out there to wreck ball, kind of have fun, right? So we started, even before the game started, we kind of knew victory was ours. We still had to play the game and try to be respectful and yada yada, but we entered the game knowing, barring a miracle of God, we were going to win. It was just kind of a foregone conclusion. Changed everything. When you know you're entering something and you're going to win. You're going to be victorious. Doesn't it change everything? It just changes everything, right? I was talking to some guys who went paintballing yesterday. And they were explaining these grown men were defeating these 6th and 7th graders. <laughs> and feeling good about that. But they were sharing that, you know, they kind of knew before the next round, right, Isaac? Before the next round, you kind of knew, yeah, we're probably going to win this one. So they're out there having fun, and they enter the game victoriously. They still have to play, but the mindset, the heart set is, I got confidence, I have enthusiasm, I have joy, because I'm pretty darn confident we're going to win this thing, right? Anyone ever go into a, a test at school pretty confident? You got this? Okay, Mark, no. Mark was pretty much the Waterloo moment. Mark was Waterloo, right? But sometimes we go into tests. You know, you got it. A performance. You've rehearsed. You go in with confidence, right? Anybody here cook a dish with confidence? You got your dish? Occasionally, okay. <laughs> Even cooking. You, you, you have your dish. You approach it with confidence. You kind of know Barring some un, something unusual happening, the dish is going to come out the way you intend it to, right? With confidence. You approach things with confidence. Uh, Barry invited me uh, and Vinny a few weeks back to go go-kart racing, MB2, right? I didn't know he was an expert at this. <laughs> Years. Like, go-kart dude. And so, you know, I'm competitive, so I'm kind of like bantering back and forth and... 
you know, I like to talk trash, so I'm like, yeah, right, yeah, right, you're right. And he just smiles. I didn't know that he had told Vinny that he was going to do the pit maneuver and spin me. <laughs> so we go, and I'm, fine. I'm trying to stay behind him, because I've never really done it a couple times, but he's really good. So he goes off, and he's so fast that he loops me. He, he comes all the way around, and I forgot he was there, because I'm just trying to get around. Next thing I know, I'm getting bumped. I'm like, all right, dude, let me just pull over. Next thing I know, the, 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 the thing's doing this. And I'm spinning in 360s, and I end up facing backwards, and there's Barry laughing at me. <laughs> and he just goes, right. I'm like, see, I entered that. That was a water. I was like kind of nervous. I didn't know what to do. It was my first time at this track. He entered it with Victoria. He, he went there like, it, he will not be satisfied until he spins me. And he knew he would. He just knew. He had, there was this confidence he, got, he brought to that. And it was kind of cool. That's what we're saying here in these verses. It says, look, positionally, through your faith in Jesus, you are now positionally an overcomer. You have all of God's resources. Right? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That overcomes is this word, the Greek is nikao. It means to conquer, to be victorious, to prevail in the face of obstacles. It's a present tense. It means continually overcoming as a habit, as a lifestyle. He who overcomes. This verse creates an expectation, a truth that if you're a believer in Jesus, you should as a habit, as your lifestyle, be victorious. You've been positioned, you've been giving all the resources you need to walk in victory. Right? And what I love in verse 4, it says, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That word victory, it only appears here once. That word in the Greek is nike. If you saw it written on paper, you would say, hey, he means nike. N-I-K-E is pronounced in the Greek nike. It is the Greek goddess of victory. That is what it means. N-I-K-E means victory. It's pronounced Nike. These verses are saying through faith in Jesus, we are positioned to be victorious, to have victory. Right? I love this quote by John MacArthur. He says, The verb Nikao was popular among the Greeks who believed that ultimate victory could not be achieved by, mere, by mortals but only by the gods. They even had a goddess named Nike, the goddess of victory who aided Zeus in the, his battle against the Titans. Against that pagan backdrop, it was stunning for the New Testament to assign to Christians the invincibility associated only with the gods. You've got to understand context. For a first century early church person to read this and to them to equate who you are in Jesus with the goddess Nike was stunning. It's like, are you kidding me? I have lived this defeatist Christianity and now you're telling me in Jesus? I can be victorious. I can conquer as a lifestyle. I can, I can just move into life confidently? Yes! That's what they're saying. And not only is it uh, overcomer, look at what it says in Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. It's the same word, nikao, through him who loved us. In the New Living it says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Amen? overwhelming victory. That word, more than conquerors, it's hooper nikao. Or super victory. It's not just nikao, and it says more than conquerors, it's hooper. Like, crazy. Right? 
It means lopsided victory. Right? So 1 John 5, 4 says we're overcomers, nikao. 8.37 says we're hooper nikao. Not only are we conquerors, we're more than conquerors as believers. It's lopsided. It's a lopsided victory, and we're on the victorious side. It's lopsided. It's like if you're watching March Madness, it's like the number one seed taking out the 16. We're the number one seed. It's lopsided. It's not, it, that's what he's saying. We're on, we're, the, we're on the number one seed. We're the varsity team. We're on the winning team. That's what the heart is that we're going to... That's, that's what we should get up. That's... You get what I'm saying? This is, this, is what, this is how we're supposed to live. This is how we live. But a lot of us are waking up with the Waterloo. Okay. Oh, Lord, just help me make it through today. Oh, you know, it's the Eeyore. Right? Winnie the Pooh Eeyore. Right? Versus what? Nikkei. Right? Which one is it? Conquerors more than conquerors or Waterloo? That's a choice you... That, here's the crazy thing. That choice is in your hands if it's a believer. That is, that is, that, I'm just sharing what the Bible says. You have to choose to believe it and act on it. And it can happen that fast before you leave here. Before you leave here by faith, you can get up and say, I am more than a conqueror. I came in here and I had this list of Waterloos. I'm leaving here and I know in Christ I am more than a conqueror. You can radically, whatever you brought in here that you has, has been, has been kind of like working you and defeating you to where you lost all sense of hope, before you leave here, you can turn that right around in the name of Jesus and the authority of word and say, nope, nope. I'm already, on, I'm, I'm the number one seed. <laughs> I got victory in Christ. I'm more than a conqueror. So I'm going to go handle those issues with that mindset. How many of you know it's just the heart set mindset that radically changes how you approach things, your decision making, your clarity, right? It's there. Ray Stedman says this, if we barely manage to win our way to heaven by the skin of our teeth, we could be said to be a conqueror. But a more than conqueror is someone who takes the worst that life can throw at him and uses that to become victorious. More than conqueror is one who, by the grace of and gift of God, and in the strength of God within him, actually takes the very things that are designed to destroy him, and they become stepping stones instead of stumbling blocks. That is being more than conquerors. That's who we are. That's who you are. Through faith in Christ. Yeah. So then we got to go back to, well, what is faith then? What is biblical faith? Right? Because it's faith that triggers all this. I'm an overcomer through faith in Jesus. Okay? So, real quick, biblical faith is more than assent. Biblical faith is more than head knowledge and saying, "Uh uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Biblical faith includes knowledge, intellect, but biblical faith at its core is your whole being and it involves trust. Trust. It's like, um, where's the stool been? Oh, here we go. It's like this chair. So I can tell you all about this stool, right? What it's made of, describe it. I can tell you all about it. And you go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I could say, this can even support 300 pounds. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith would be you sitting on the chair, right? So in essence, here's a great example. Everyone who's sitting in a chair right now, you're exhibiting what we would call biblical faith in your chair. Right? And if you want to really experience it, just lift your feet off the ground. Ooh. Now you are fully at the mercy of that seat. What are you doing? There's a part of you that believes the seat will hold you up, right? Right now. You're not scared. I haven't seen anyone holding on and helping the chair. So actually, you've done it so many times. You have this belief that the chair will hold you up. How do you know that your belief is legit, that you actually have faith? What did you do this morning? You sat in it. You sat in it. Your whole being right now rests on that chair. That's biblical faith. 
It's this plus a choice of your will to rest in Jesus. Then it all makes sense, this burdensome, this maxim. It, it, it really makes sense when you say, okay, I get Jesus, I get Son of God, I get what he did at the Calvary, get all that stuff. Here, the Bible says, missing step for many, is they're not doing this with Jesus. This puts you in a place of the overcomer. This changes everything. When you're fully resting in the finished work of Jesus and you're fully following him, all, everything, your whole being is in Jesus. That's what first verses 4 and 5 are talking about. Now you're an overcomer. Now victory is yours. Changes everything when you rest fully in Jesus. Right? That's your choice. That's faith. That's faith. Right? I remember um, in 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. Remember the story of David and Goliath? If you're going through, you just read that recently in the Bible reading plan. Right? And early 2000s, I went to the Valley of Elah where that happened in Israel. And I, we pulled over our van and I got out and I went down to the Valley of Elah. And there was this riverbed and there were rocks. And we're, <laughs> we're like grabbing rocks. Hey, this might have been, you know, these were the rocks when David was here. Right? So in this Valley of Elah, the Israelites are here. The Philistines are here. Right? And tradition says, hey, this is the champions fight instead of everybody fighting and killing each other. So Goliath comes out and he says, hey, Israelites, send somebody and I'll fight your, your champion. Whoever wins, that'll decide this. Right? That's Goliath. Big guy, big armor, right? You guys know the story. Israelites freak out. They freak out, right? And the crazy thing is, it says, when Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. 40 days. So 40 days. Every, the battle, the, they get all the soldiers lined up. Philistine comes out. Where I come from, we would say, he talks trash. He challenges, talks trash. Hey, come on, let's settle this. Send out your champion. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Let's go back to the camp. The Israelites, for 40 days, go back to the camp. One day, David shows up. His older brothers are there, right, with King Saul. David brings them some food. While David is there, he happens to hear Goliath talking trash. And he's like, who that? He's like, well, you know, that's Goliath. You know, he's like, who, who, who's he to talk trash about our God? I'll take him. David, the youngest, he says, I'll take him. His brothers get all mad, right? Even King Saul, they get back to, hey, king, we got this guy. He says he's going to take Goliath. And even King Saul says, you can't. You can't, right? See, here's my point. For 40 days, Israelites lived in fear and were paralyzed by this Goliath. And I wonder for how, in our life, how many of us have fallen into, well, we can't. He's too big. Let's just go back to camp and let's just cower. A lot of Christians, you just, that's your Waterloo. That was their Waterloo, and they just had resigned themselves that this is the way it's going to be. He's going to come out every day and talk trash, and we're going to be scared. Some of us in our walk with Jesus, if we're honest, you've got to ask yourself, have I just kind of given up? Have I just kind of resigned myself to being defeated by this thing, this person, this circumstance, this issue, this fear, this anxiety, whatever it might be? But what I love is that David, he's just fresh ears. <laughs> you see? He's fresh ears. He heard it for the first time, and it ticked him off. Sometimes you need to put people in your life to give you fresh ears and a fresh voice who will lovingly say, Mark, what are you thinking, man? Well, da, 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 da. okay, Mark, what are you thinking? Well, because we, he get, Mark can get so circumstance-driven and focused on himself, and then Mark convinces himself, this is just the way I am. I've always been this way. I just can't, 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 can't. And sometimes we need fresh ears and fresh voices to point us back to God and to wake us up again, to wake us up. 
right? And David's like, I'll take them. King Saul's like, uh, you? Oh, okay. Here, put my armor on. No, nah, I can't, king. It's too big. I, I don't know. So how are you going to do this? Well, you know, uh, I was a shepherd, and a lion and a bear would come, and they'd take one of the sheep, and I'd go chase them down, and I'd take them out. And I said, you know what, king? The same way that the Lord delivered me, and I'm going to do that to him in the power of the Lord. See, David was so God-focused. He was seeing Goliath this way. Not this way. Not Goliath and me. It was like, victorious, more than conqueror, my God will take care of you. That made all the difference. That made all the difference. Right? And, and, and then, you know, you know the story. He comes out and he takes him out. The point is this. Some of us in the church, for far too long, you've listened to the Goliath talk trash to you and keep you in your place and tell you you're never going to amount to anything. That, that sin, that habit, that box that you believe, it's, in, it's impenetrable. It's just done. And like the Israelites, you just hear it every day and you go to your camp. On the authority of God's word this morning from 1 John 4 and 5, I'm sharing with you, you are more than a conqueror. Through Christ. Through Christ. Right? Very important. Garrett, put up Romans 8:37 again. What does it say? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. When it comes to biblical faith, here's a key thing. It's the object of your faith that matters. For David, it was the object of his faith. His faith wasn't in him. His faith was in God. My faith, your faith, biblically, is not in you. It's in Jesus. You see, here's what I mean. Bill, right now, the object of his faith is the chair. Bill, sometimes we think, well, how do you know? Well, I have faith. I have. And we think that the object of our faith is us. Well, it's because I have faith. No. Your faith should be in the chair, not you. You've got to get that. A lot of us in the church, we base our faith on us. But what happens when our feelings change? What happens when I don't feel like having faith? Well, the chairs, the object, this didn't change. You changed. So if you put your faith in Christ and on God, who doesn't change biblically, you rest. But a lot of times we have to ask ourselves, what is the object of my faith as a follower of Jesus? In me or Jesus? makes all the difference. The object of your faith is what matters, and it better be on God and Jesus. Okay? It's not me. It's not my faith. It's faith in the object. It's faith in the object. Okay? That's what opens up this whole victorious world to us, because our faith is in the right object, God, Jesus. Right? Second Peter 1 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having an escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Right? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. object of your faith is in Him having provided all things that we need. Where's the object of your faith? Is it in him? Is it in him? Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. What's the object? Who's the object? God! God is working in you, giving you his desires, and then enabling you. The object is God. He's doing the work. You've got to rest in God's work and his changing your desires. It's all of him. It is just all of him, right? So the question then, the application for us here this morning is, what's your Waterloo? 
What's your Goliath? What area of your life have you sort of just waved the white flag of defeat and just resigned yourself? That's just the way I am. That's just the way it's always going to be. This is too big for me. I just can't. What's your Waterloo? Have you met your Waterloo? What's your Goliath? What's the thing that's waiting for you outside these doors that right now you're scared of? What triggers your anxiety? Your worry? What intimidates you? What are you cowering in front of? Right? Think of that right now. Whatever that Goliath and whatever that Waterloo is, I'm going to read 1 John 5 again. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And then Jesus himself says this, John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He is the object. He is the overcomer of the world. Put your faith in him, rest fully in him. You are in Christ and all the resources and provision of God are yours. To not just be a conqueror, more than a conqueror. Amen? Let's pray. Lord. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Lord, we read these verses in 1 John 5. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Lord, it almost seems honestly too good to be true. We have lived in defeat. We have met Waterloo over and over. And many of us have resigned ourselves to a life of defeat. A life of victim. A life of weakness. Many of us have heard Goliath speak every day, not just for 40 days, but for 40 years. And every day we go back to the camp discouraged and hopeless. But my prayer today, Lord, has been that you through your word would be like David, who went to the camp and heard this Goliath speak and responded based on faith in you. I pray for those this morning that need to choose to put their faith in the right object, you. The right person, you. Maybe for some here it's a salvation issue. You've never, you've never, you understood it kind of in your head and you would even agree to it, but you've never rested in Jesus like you're resting in that chair. Today I pray that you would rest in Jesus. Trust him. Exercise faith in your whole being in Jesus. And then, Lord, for those of us who are followers, whatever that issue is, whatever that Waterloo moment is, whatever that Goliath is that has kept us bound, I pray in accordance with the Word of God this morning that we would claim victory that we would claim who we are in Jesus as overcomers of the world for this specific issue. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's another issue of obedience that no one else knows about. I pray that we would choose to believe your word and choose faith. And that you would bring victory in these areas in our life. Father, I think about uh, Nike, the company, 
And Nike has that slogan, just do it. And then I think about Nike. And that your word says that faith without works is dead. So Lord, help us do what we need to do. In faith, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us take that step, one step in victory, one step in freedom, one step as an overcomer in Jesus. I pray that that you would make that step clear and that we would do that step today. Today. Maybe for some, even before they stand up out of their chair when this service is done, that they will have already taken a step in their heart to believe that victory is theirs. To genuinely believe they are on the number one seed. We are more than conquerors in Jesus. Our names are written in the book of life. Heaven is our home. We know how the story ends. We win. We win. Whatever happens on this planet, what happens on, whatever happens in our life, sickness, finances, relationship, it doesn't matter because we win. We already know the outcome. So I pray that today we will leave here with a bit of an attitude that says, hey, you know what, world? I am an overcomer in Jesus. Hey, you know, world, you know what, world? I am more than a conqueror. Hey, you know what, world? I'm on the winning team. And I want you to be on the team with me too because God loves you that much. So Lord, I pray for freedom and I pray for victory for my brothers and sisters in Christ. No longer living in defeat, but moving forward in the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus, all for the glory of God.